and welcome to another episode of Consumer, the European podcast of the Consumer Choice Center. This is episode 95 on December 2nd. Wait, no, that's December 1st, uh, 2022. I'm joined this week by your favorite Canadian of all time. That's David Clement. You can follow him on Twitter at Clement Liberty. It's great to have you back, David. How's it going uh, all the way up in uh, Canada? Oh, it's good. It's good. It's not every day you get to... Uh you get to be a guest on one of Europe's top political podcasts, so very excited. Absolutely, we are, and thank you for listening on all the podcast players. You can support this podcast as well by going on consumerchoicecenter.org slash donate, where you can donate in fiat or cryptocurrency if you so choose. Um, and uh, David, uh, for this week, we have two topics that we wanted to discuss. We have uh, the World Cup. Everybody's talking about it. A lot of people are watching it. Some people are not watching it, uh, and we'll go into the reasons why. And uh, also LNG, because Germany has laid the groundwork for how quickly an LNG terminal can actually be completed. And it's very impressive. So um, let's talk about the World Cup first. There was the there was a Canada's first game was against Belgium. So how did that go for you? Uh, lost one nothing, but controlled almost controlled the majority of the game, outshot them drastically. Um, they even interviewed the Belgian guy who scored. And he was like, yeah, we got lucky. We got lucky that to win today. Um, they outplayed us. They're they're a good team, and I think what's interesting is I mean it's the first time we've qualified since '86. Um, there were some really dark years for for Canadian football, Canadian soccer, and uh, it's a huge moment um, for them to be there for a couple reasons. One, because it took so long to get back on the world stage. Um, two, because there were a lot of doubters wondering if Canada could hang with the best teams in the world. And we outplayed the second best team in the world. Um, so I think the, the the football world is realizing that there's something there. Um, we didn't beat Mexico in the United States en route to winning CONCACAF. Um as a fluke. Uh, and then third, the reason why it's important is because we're a partial host for the next one. Um, so that is hosted by Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. And having a good showing here just allows for the whole development process over the next four years to make sure that that's, a, that's our best foot forward. Um, so it's, re it's really exciting. Uh, I mean, still two games to go, but... Uh, it is uh, beyond the politics and all the nonsense with FIFA. It's exciting. It's an exciting tournament. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I'm from a country that has never qualified and most certainly never will. We used to use the excuse from Luxembourg that we're too small of a country to provide enough good players. But then Iceland, which is, has about half the population of Luxembourg, uh, has definitely disproven that. Maybe we just, I don't know. I mean, you never know how, how it's going to go. We see in this tournament in the early games that the underdogs are overperforming. Um, Saudi Arabia played quite well. They are. And uh, I, I, what was it to, yep. today? We were pre-recording this, but uh, today I think Iran beat Wales, which was also unexpected. Um, yep. So so excellent. Uh, Japan beat Germany. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I like, I yeah, like when the countries that are sort of the underdogs uh, outperform. I, I do enjoy that quite a bit. So Canada might be one of those. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I hope so. I hope so. It, uh, there's, always, there's always a good... Uh, a few good upsets every every World Cup. We've seen a couple. Hopefully, we can see a couple more. Um, but it is really hard to watch 
the largest sporting event on the planet and not get drawn into all of the scandal and corruption. Um, I mean, going back to how Qatar got the World Cup to the fact that they're hosting it in a country with some pretty barbaric um, rules and practices. Uh, It just makes you really question the role of FIFA and what it sees itself as. Is it just like this morally morally neutral um and uh, morally neutral um organization it certainly hasn't been in the past because if you go back far enough um there were questions about south africa's participation in fifa during apartheid um and that was in large part beyond some hefty cash payments why why South Africa hosted the World Cup um and so it's just a lot of questions of like why would you go why are you going to go like I can understand the desire to play somewhere in the Arab world right grow the game that's it it's important yeah that's important um but play in Dubai or Jordan or countries whom are not as, um, however you want to describe it, rigid, cruel, etc., um, as as Qatar is. Absolutely, I think I think it's hard to find a. It's also it's also important to find a dividing line because a lot of people they do fall into some of the relativism by trying to defend Qatar here by saying, well, no matter where you organize it, you always have some corruption scandals, and that to to an extent that is true. If you build a lot of stadiums, if you have a big organization, a lot of things do go wrong, and there's no country that's holier than thou on that level yeah so there would be no place where you would be without i think the well i think the construction deaths for um for a developing country uh are about like one five hundredth or one one thousandth um naturally there are risks to building big buildings right concrete steel etc it's super unfortunate that workplace deaths happen um but it's a question of okay, well, how reckless is it in the construction process, and how many people, and how did they get there, and what are the, the terms in which they're there? Are they essentially indentured um, when they arrive to work and things like that? But it's also the the entire backstory of how they got the World Cup, which is really like I think they they never sh- once it was exposed that it was essentially paid for and bribed. Um, and of which people have gone to prison for. Um, the FBI did go after executives of FIFA, some of whom um, willingly co- cooperated and pled guilty, some of whom were arrested. Um, so you knew everybody knows it happens. It happened. It's not a question of whether or not it happened. It happened. And yet the ga- the the games are still played in Qatar anyway, where they could have easily said, "Okay, whoops." We're pulling the World Cup from Qatar. We're actually going to give it to England, or we're going to give it to Germany, or we're going to give it to any country who already has all of the infrastructure, right? Germany doesn't need to build a single stadium with the Bundesliga. The The English don't need to build a single stadium with Premier League stadiums. The United States doesn't need to build a single stadium 
in order to host the World Cup. Um, and so it's not like there weren't options there. But yeah, I mean, I would love to see... Uh, I wonder what your thoughts are on this. I, I tweeted that Elon Musk should create a competitor to FIFA because the Danes and the English are now threatening to leave FIFA because, of course, FIFA is just a nonprofit association. There's no like legal binding. They've kind of arbitrarily decided that they are world football. Um, there's nothing stopping a, another league from coming and poaching teams. And I think if you lose the English you probably see a quick ripple um, of all the major clubs. That probably sends a pretty clear message in Europe um, in terms of some other association who holds what is the largest um, sporting event for football uh, where best-on-best best national teams play each other. D didn't, didn't Trump try something like this in the past? Uh, I mean, he did it with the, with the Miss Universe the, the, thing, but then American he was also sports. Yeah, there was American oh, yeah, yeah. Where, he, where he tried something similar. Yeah, he, he went to court yeah. over this too, right? Yeah, there's been a couple efforts to create a competitor to the National Football League. Um, the difference is, is that those are... Um, that's a lot more difficult because the NFL, whatever its faults are, uh, is not FIFA. Like FIFA is essentially run like the mafia. Um, so where there's a lot of money, it's then closely intertwined with government. Like the most egregious example from for, for people who maybe aren't familiar with the story, the most egregious or two most egregious examples are um, the Emir of Qatar met with the Thai representative on the executive committee for FIFA who was voting on the location. And then he committed to voting for Qatar. And then like a week later, there was a natural gas deal between Thailand and Qatar out of nowhere. Um, they went to Sarkozy when he was the leader in France at the time. And Sarkozy went to the head of French football and was like, you have to vote for Qatar. And he did. And then two weeks later, they announced they were buying all these planes from Airbus and, um, it just, it got very intertwined with the highest levels of government and just you, it lost, it's supposed to be a pride, like this is not a, a government event. Um, but because it's in Qatar, it kind of became one. Uh, and that just added a whole nother layer to the corruption. I think, I think, I think what we're going to increasingly see, and I think North America now leads the way, as you mentioned with Mexico, the U S and Canada, uh, hosting together which is quite a distance for the teams to travel between stadiums but the infrastructure is there and it makes sense for it to be in one continent roughly the same time zone and there will be some time zone changes obviously that they will have to manage but ultimately i think that's a good idea what i think i mean obviously the appeal for countries to host the world cup is to put the country on the map and that's something where Qatar has definitely done, but I'm not quite sure they have quite done it in the way that they initially expected it to. Because on top of the scandals you mentioned, we now have other scandals as well about the use of alcohol and people having LGBT supporting uh, insignia on them for the stadiums. I think that has really, really hurt the Qatari image there. Yeah, well, it was an attempt at sport washing, right? It's an attempt to host the world to say, hey, guys, we are just like you um we want to be in this global community see how great we are this is a great place but it doesn't take very long for people to kind of see under the veil um and and see pretty clearly what is and isn't true um 
And so, yeah, it was an unsuccessful attempt at sport washing. But, I mean, the same goes to Russia hosted the World Cup in 2018, which is after they four years after they had invaded Crimea. Uh, think about that. Um, like, that's pretty wild. Um, and yet that nobody it absolutely is and and it and it allows for more time to talk about it as yeah. well i mean it's like there's more conversation about it so ultimately the 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 sports washing doesn't quite work for that country no. I, I think there's now more attention on qatar than there ever has before and i think the realization also has to hit some of these countries is that if they want to host a world cup they it requires a certain level of openness because, yeah, you're going to have your British hooligan tourists who want to drink a lot, and that's part of it. And I think that's why you mentioned you mentioned Dubai earlier. There seems to be some sort, of, some more of an understanding in the UAE, which also has very restrictive uh, 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 rules on, on on personal behavior that I disagree with. But that country seems to have a bit more of an understanding. If you want to have an international expat community yep. and tourists. There's some concessions you need to make. There's some compromise that you need to work. Yeah, with. if you want to host the world, you have to bend a little bit, rather than their approach, which is no, you respect our culture and our rules. And I forget who it was, you you tweeted. I thought it was funny, but also true. It was like, well, Western values aren't universal. Different cultures have different values, and those need to be respected. And it's like, well, yeah, that's true that they're not necessarily universal. Um, but we're not going to play the moral relativism game and pretend like we're all equal in regards to how we treat people. That is just not true. Um, and those who yeah exactly yeah. and and if you you shouldn't be yeah you shouldn't be offended by somebody having a rainbow banner on their arm. That is that is there's there's no reason to restrict people from especially because it's it is an international event. It's not like the gentleman in this case. So this is a tweet. I will link to it in the description where a Qatari influencer tweeted exactly what you what you just referred to because there was a gentleman who had a T-shirt with an LGBT insignia on it. Uh, very subtle, I would even say. Uh, ultimately, he wasn't waving a flag and he wasn't walking into a mosque with it either. He was going to a football yeah. stadium from a very internationally broadcasted event where I just don't understand like to, to what countries cannot impose those kind of things, um, especially when they're trying to host uh, something like the World Cup. Very, very bad PR for Qatar. Well, and statistically speaking, there are gay players in this tournament. They, we may not know who they are. They may not be public in regards to their sexuality. But statistically speaking, it is it is virtually guaranteed that they that there are gay players in this tournament. Uh, and then also factor in the. I did you see? Did you see the FIFA official? No. He, he was at this press conference and he said, "Today I feel Qatari. Today yeah. I feel a migrant worker." And I would have lo it would have been so funny the moment he said, "Today I feel gay," that they would have arrested him at the press conference <laughs> because he's in Qatar. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and also the think about it. and I think you referred to that. Yeah. Think about it. Is, is they couldn't story. host the women's game, right? That that is also a huge red flag. Um, because if you want to grow the other half of the sport, um, and you and it would just be inappropriate or impossible for a country to host a women's World Cup, um, not just because they don't have a team, um, but because it would be too faux pas to have a bunch of women running around on a soccer field, um, is that really what FIFA is it wants to get behind? Um, 
I I would hope not, but I guess everybody's got a price. Apparently so. And um and actually I have a way to transition uh to our next topic uh through this actually. Uh because uh it turns out that we need to be on a good footing with Qatar for other reasons. Uh, even though we may criticize them in this case, we do end up needing Qatar for natural gas. And natural gas, liquefied natural gas, LNG, uh, is provided to many countries in Europe now from Qatar. Now, in order to get the infrastructure together, it is required to have LNG terminals. Now, some in Europe are quite well prepared. Spain is about 25% of all the LNG infrastructure in Europe. But unfortunately, Spain may not be as well connected to other countries to share all of that gas. But uh, Germany is also one of them. So Germany just constructed in a bit more than half a year an LNG terminal. And uh, let me just play this clip for you because this actually became a topic in the uh, Canadian Parliament with uh, MP Michael Chong uh, talking about it. So let's listen in. Mr. Speaker, this past week, Germany inaugurated its first liquefied natural gas terminal. Germany started construction after the war in Ukraine began on February 24th in order to get off Russian gas. Before Russia's war on Ukraine, Germany had no LNG terminals. It took Germany 194 days to approve and build this new LNG terminal in the North Sea port of Wilhelmshaven. 194 days. And four more are on the way shortly. Germany has a stronger set of environmental standards than Canada. And Germany has reduced greenhouse gas emissions more than Canada. Germany is also led by a left-of-center social democratic chancellor. And its Minister of Economic Affairs and Climate Action is a Green Party minister. This government needs to ask itself, how can Germany approve and build a new LNG terminal in 194 days, but it takes a decade or more to approve and build a single LNG terminal in this country. So um, this was definitely also a topic, as you can see, in Canada. And one of the reasons um, that Germany was quicker, and I, and I read up on this in Wilhelmshaven, was also because they, for, they, they did forego the environmental impact assessment and many of the regulatory rules that would re- be required usually for building such an uh, LNG uh, terminal. So uh, it, the story made all its way uh, over to Canada. Uh, is, it, is it because Canada is just a bit too slow in constructing these? Well, it's non-existent. Um, we have, uh, I want to say, trillions of whatever unit of measurement it is for natural gas. But we don't export it because we don't develop it because our government is we essentially have like a marketing agency running a g7 country right now um that's how i would describe it there are no adults in the room um and what the germans have shown is how quickly you can respond to crisis and get things done if there's actually motivation to do so the problem is with the liberals there isn't motivation to do so Um, And I would say that's a criticism of whether or not they're in a majority position or a minority position like they are now. And it's it's just a huge wasted opportunity because, and I got into this on on Twitter a while back, one of the members of parliament who's a liberal was like, well, Europe has never asked for our natural gas. (laughs) And then then the the German chancellor was talking to the CBC and he was like, oh yeah, we'd love it. Well, I mean, if you could give it, if you could send it to us, we would definitely take it. And it's like, 
Hello, of course. Is it better than funding Putin's war machine? Yeah. Um, do we have fewer ethical faux pas than sourcing this from some countries in the Middle East? Uh, of course. Um, and and yet they, there's just no... Um, someone needs to like light a fire under their feet to get things done. Uh, but the mantra from Ottawa seems to be do the least amount possible with the maximum public perception outcome and then just sit on your hands. Uh, and that's really for, for a different topic, not just energy, but all sorts of other topics. And uh, it's a real shame because it's a huge opportunity cost. And obviously Canadians would benefit immensely if we were developing this and sending it abroad and developing, developing it better for domestic uh, reasons. I, I remember. I remember Macron, uh, who uh, was talking to Joe Biden at I think this was the G20 summit, uh, where he made it clear to Joe Biden that um, well, Europe essentially needs help in getting more oil, and was doing it quite publicly, almost ambushing Joe Biden. There, it almost appears that uh, Justin Trudeau needs a similar nudge, maybe even in public, by Europeans saying, "Okay, if you were to." Uh, export we would definitely be buying yeah well i mean i don't know how much you how more obvious we can get when the german chancellor's on our national broadcaster saying saying exactly that and yet that doesn't seem to uh to do it it is an aspect of our of my trip and uh, of the debates i have with all my friends here that we also are asking for uh, support in the situation we have now and obviously there is the need for 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 using gas which we buy all over the world from good partners when we stop to buy gas from russia and uh, this is what uh, is also our talks about um and it, it doesn't have an, even necessarily need to be a public sector project uh it just need, it, it could very well be a private sector project they just need the regulatory certainty that it's not going to be stripped away from them uh, because obviously this takes billions and billions of dollars of investment and expenditure. If you're going to do that, you need to know you're not the stroke of a pen away from losing it all. Um, and that is kind of where we are now, where there could be some uh, timidness on the side of industry because they think that it's possible that could all go away. Yeah, we talked about this on the podcast last week because we, in Europe we have something since the 90s called the Energy Charter Treaty, which uh, actually protects uh, energy companies from exactly that. It was initially started because uh, uh, former uh, countries that were formerly under Soviet uh, Union control um, essentially needed to give some sort of a guarantee to energy companies that uh, this could not happen to them. And now this energy charter treaty is actually under coming under fire in Europe as well, because uh, governments are getting sued by energy companies over environmental regulations, which arguably is now as unpredictable as uh, some of these governments might have seemed in the 90s, uh, because uh, a stroke of a pen could also mean a lot of taxes on these companies. So this is really, uh, this is really not a good time to create uncertainty. Energy companies should should actually be providing as much as possible. Yeah, um, and I mean, there's a lot at stake. I mentioned the domestic side of, of this, but I mean, the flip side is, again, do you want to continue to create a scenario that funds the war um, on the Russian side? No. Uh, and at the same time, our national governments are spending billions of dollars in arms assistance, um, 
to help the Ukrainians, which I think is quite noble. Uh, but at the same time, if you're buying Russian gas, you, you're essentially helping both sides, um, which I think is ethically suspect. Um, and so there's a clear path out of this. You just have to you have to have the guts to get it done. Absolutely. Um, David, uh, it was great to chat about those two topics. Before I let you go, I have two more things I, I want from you. First of all, a prediction as to how far Canada will actually, because we talked about the World Cup earlier, how far will Canada make it? Uh, I, I assume you think Canada can make it to the finals, but exactly how far into the finals? Um, I think we can get out of the group stage because I think we can beat Croatia and Morocco. Um it's going to be tough. We don't have a great group. It's not easy. I mean, Belgium is is, is the second best team in the world. Um, Croatia lost in a World Cup final. Uh, and then Morocco tied Croatia uh, in their first game. So it's not a... There, there are no layups. Um, I think we can get out of the group stage. Um, if we get out of the group stage, could we go all the way? Uh, as much as I'm a fan, I don't, I, I don't think so. Um, but we've seen this happen before, where the underdog goes way, like Iceland went way deeper than anyone thought they would in the tournament. I think one because they were playing really well, um, and two because no one took them seriously enough to really understand the game that they were playing, which is I think what we saw with Canada and Belgium, and the reason why Canada controlled so much of the game is that we are a wild card. The scouting report on Canada is probably pretty sparse because not a lot of um, not a lot of people in the back office necessarily take the team as seriously as they should. Uh, so that works to your advantage. If you, if you can get out of the group stage, who knows? Um, but it, it's, it's just an exciting time. Um, and it's an exciting time domestically. There was a sports commentator here, and this is something that's kind of uniquely Canadian. Um, during the World Cup, when we aren't there, you see all the flags of the world because everyone is from somewhere else. Uh, and he said, well, no longer do we have to fly the flags of our parents. We have our own team now to cheer for, which is really cool. Um, so it would mean a lot if we were to get out of the group stage. Um, but do I think we could go all the way? Probably not. But if we do, I'm probably I'm going to need a week off of work. I'm going to it's going to be a huge party. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and it would be well deserved and then lastly david for the listeners who've heard you now and said oh i want to hear more david where can they do that where else uh, is there more david to listen to yeah uh at clement liberty um on uh on on instagram consumer choice radio uh, is our other program um that we we host weekly um so if you want to tune in uh, to that, you certainly can. Um, and I encourage you uh, to do so for more hot takes from uh, from me. Thank you so much, David, for joining us on the Consumer Podcast. Uh, my name is Bill Wirtz. I will be off next week, but we'll be back right after that. So thank you so much. And uh, yeah, see you soon. Thanks, David. Thank you. You have to learn.